in the verses leading up to verse number 13, comes up with a number of excuses why he has got it wrong. And um, by the way, Moses isn't the only person that ever does that or has done that. Everybody in this room probably at one time or another has thought, yeah, God, you kind of got it wrong. That's not exactly. And I'm thinking maybe that especially in 2020, a lot of us have been thinking, I wonder if God's getting it right anymore. I guarantee you he is. And so Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 through 15, Moses is about to give in. And, and he's going to go to Egypt. And uh, he says, oh, it's kind of like one more thing, God. Um, I need to know this. And Moses said unto God, verse number 13, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. And God said, Moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name forever. Which name? I am. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial unto all generations. Our Father, I, I pray that you will bless our time now in the word, that you would uh, speak to our hearts, and Lord, that you would, Lord, have your will and way in every life. Maybe somebody here has never been introduced and maybe has never received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. As our brother mentioned this morning, as he prayed some moments ago, you are the door. You are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. And today you are the Savior of the world. And we pray that nobody would leave here without knowing that for certain, having received you. We pray that Christians would be encouraged, but also that we would make those decisions that you're leading to us to as well. And we pray that the Holy Spirit of God would have liberty to work in our hearts and lives as the Word of God is preached. And we'll thank you for what you accomplish in Jesus' name. Amen. It probably has never worked this way in your house, and it probably never will, but in my house, things work a little differently with my children. I probably have the oddball children. I'm sure your kids never do this. But every once in a while, and actually more than once in a while, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty regular happening in our house. Child A, we've got four kids, so I'll use child A, B, C, and D. I want to protect the innocent. The truth is none of them are innocent. Child A goes to child B and says, you need to do this. Or child A goes to child B, C, and D and say, hey, you guys got to go do this. And without fail, I would say 100% of the time, child B or child B, C, and D say to child A, oh yeah, who says Because if you're saying it, I ain't doing it. Now, I know it doesn't happen that way in your house, but it does in ours. And the truth of the matter is, sometimes in our house, I know you'll find this hard to believe, child A has gone rogue. They are wa working and speaking without any authority whatsoever. They have just decided that child B or child B, C, and D or any combination thereof need to do some type of work. And usually it's the chores they've been assigned. I know, I know, my house is weird. 
But that's how it works. There are other times, though, when child A comes to child B or B, C, and D, any combination thereof, and says, hey, you got to do this. And because 100% of the time this happens, they say, oh, yeah? Who says? Child A looks, and now they're confident, hands on their hips. Or if it's Caleb, arms crossed, and says, Dad says. There's a whole different attitude and a whole different outcome. Why? Because now they recognize something. If we don't do what child A says, we got to answer to dad, not to this kid. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure we can take him. <laughs> I know, my house is weird. But we probably can't take dad. So we better do it. As Moses is arguing with God about God's will for his life, he comes to the point where he says, okay, I'm going to do it. But by the way, when I get there, they're going to ask me, by what authority? You know, this has been going on since, well, before Moses, really, but it even happened to Jesus, right? Jesus would do something and the Pharisees would say, who gave you the right? Who says Jesus would respond very often times, I am. Read the Gospel of John. I am. And when he would use that name of power, there were times when the people would cower away. The Bible says in the garden when he used that phrase, I am, they fell flat back on their, on their backsides. So Moses says, they're going to ask me, who says you get this authority? Pharaoh's going to ask me, by what authority? And God says, you just tell him I am. That's who sent you. And it may seem strange on the, on, on, on the surface. But God says, you tell him I am. And I think, really, if we study this out, there's really some important lessons to be learned. Why did God use that particular name? Of all his names that he describes himself by to help us to understand who he is, why this name? And God says, you tell him I am sent you. And not only that, he goes on, and he, in verse 15 he says this, and it's so important because he, he says, this isn't just for you, Moses, this is for everybody who will ever come after you who is living for me and doing something for me. Know that this is my name forever. That's past, that's present, that's future. That's how long forever is. This is my name forever and ever. And this, my name, is a memorial unto all generations. And so, Moses, you tell him I am. And child of God, when somebody comes to you and says, by what authority, uh, who are you? Uh, how many of us have given somebody the gospel and, and they say, who are you to tell me that? Oh, I'm, I'm nobody, I'm nobody, but I do represent I am. God said for every generation, this is the name that we should look to. It's a memorial. That, that word memorial, it holds the idea of establishing a mark, of, of setting something in recording, of, of erecting a statue even. 
I know in our country, in our culture right now, we're going through a turmoil and a turbulent time where we're tearing down statues and we're erasing names off of buildings and we're changing the names of, of military establishments to more fit with society and culture. Can I tell you that you will never erase the name I am? You're, you're not going to tear him down. You're not going to take him out of the word. He is I am forever. God says to every generation, this is my memorial. As you study that word memorial, if, if, you, if we were to go a little further into Exodus, we would find that in Exodus 17, this word is used again. And in that context, in Exodus chapter 17, there's a young guy who is being mentored by Moses who's going to be an up-and-comer, and he's actually going to become the, the leader that takes Moses' place. His name is Joshua. You know him. He's a great, great leader. He has got such a great military mind that he is still to this day at West Point listed amongst the top ten generals of the world. He's a great leader. But this is one of his first battles. And he's fighting in a valley and Moses is standing up on the hill looking over the valley. And um, if you know the, the context, uh, the, the battle is between the children of Israel and Amaleks or the Amalekites. And so the way it works is when Moses, God's man, standing on the hill, holds the rod of God over his head, has his hands up, Joshua prevails. When his hands come down, what happens? The Amalekites prevail. Okay? What's the lesson? God's in control. God's really doing the fighting. As great as you are as a general and strategist, uh, 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 Joshua, it's really God. Okay? And as that happens... A guy named Aaron, a guy named Hur come and stay the hands of Moses, and God wins a victory. And God says this, and the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. This reminds us of the, com of the comfort that God delivers as the great I am. And we're going to come back to this. It's just kind of an introduction to the outline you see on your bulletin. But think about this. Joshua was going to have to fight a lot of fights. And a lot of battles into the future. And God said, hey, Joshua, you set something in your heart and in your mind. Establish it right now like a statue that can't be ripped down. I'm going to do the fighting for you. As long as I'm on your side and you're on my side, we win. Always we win. And so it's a comfort to know that. In Psalm 111, verse 3 and 4, we read this. His work, God's work, is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endureth forever. He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. It's that same word, memorial. The Lord God is, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion. The works of his hands are, ver are verity and judgment. All his commandments are sure. Verse 8 says, they stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. He, sends, he sent redemption unto his people. He, command, his, rather, he hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his, uh, his commandments. His praise endureth forever. I think this kind of reminds us that, that of, the, of the command that God deserves as the great I am. That when you and I took a, take a look around, like we just sang, when I in awesome wonder consider all thy hands hath made, what, what's the result of that? Then sings my soul, how great thou art. And I remember, God deserves to be in control of my life. 
If we move a little further and we look at the book of Esther, we find another way that this word memorial is used. The first time I I see the comfort he delivers, I see the command he deserves, but I, I also see the control he displays. Because in the book of Esther, you remember that there was a wicked man named Haman. He wanted to destroy the Jewish nation. God intervenes in a way that only God can. And God gives a great victory, turns this all around on Haman, on those who would do harm to the Jews, and gives the Jews a victory, as only God can. And Esther 9 and verse 28 says this, And that these days should be remembered and kept throughout, uh, throughout every generation, every family, every province, and every city, and that these days of Purim... The days in which God gave that victory should not fail from among the Jews, nor the memorial of them perish from their seed. And God says, I want you to remember that I control everything. There is no book in the Bible that puts the sovereignty of God on display more than the book of Esther. So that we see that God is always in control when he seemingly may not be. And I don't know about you. But I am glad that when Moses said to God, when they asked me who sent me, that God said, you just tell them I am. I am. And I want to look at these a little bit more closely with you and see if we can't uh, be encouraged and maybe make some decisions based on this name, I am. And so let's look, first of all, at the comfort he delivers by this name, by this name, I am, the comfort he delivers. Remember... What's going on in Exodus chapter 3 is God, as Moses comes and meets God, and really God meets Moses, however you want to put it, he, Moses coming out of the wilderness, God calls his, his, gets his attention, he goes over and he meets with God, they have this conversation, if you will, God says, this is what you're going to do, and Moses is like, no, I don't think so. Well, why is it, no, I don't think so? Why doesn't he just go back? Are there, are there any reasons for why he doesn't go back? Because a lot of times I think we're hard on Moses and we say, you know what, why didn't you just do what God told you to do? Okay, why didn't you do what God told you to do? <laughs> and why didn't I do what God told me to do? Because there's, sometimes there's a history that says, yeah, I've been there, done that, I don't think I want to do it again. You know, I, I love roller coasters, I, I love them. They're like, get me on a roller coaster, I'll stand in all day, I'm like one of the kids, no hands, no feet, screaming, the whole thing. Do you know in California you can't scream on a roller coaster right now? Like, is it legal? Whatever. <laughs> I digress. Anyway, I love roller coasters. I have some children who don't like roller coasters. I think all of my kids should love them, so I make them ride them. I got one on the roller coaster... Well, you're going to know who it is because I'm going to say he. He's got a personal pronoun. <laughs> we got to the top of the thing, the, the very top where, you know, it's going to start coming down. He looked over the edge. He's, now, to his defense, I mean, he's a Marine now and he probably snapped my neck, but he was young. He looked. And we're on one of these things that we were not really well strapped in. He looked at that. He goes, no way. And he literally started climbing out. I had to hold him by his legs. <laughs> no way. I had another one, we, we rode a roller coaster, and, and she's like, this is going to be great. So we started going up the hill, then she starts sinking under the seat. We got off the roller coaster, I'm like, let's do it again. She's like, no way, Dad. 
No way. Why? Well, there's a history there. Moses, you got to go back to Egypt. Uh, no thanks. Why? Well, there's a history there. And it wasn't so great, was it? Last time that Moses was in Egypt, what happened? Uh, he killed a guy. He ended up on the most wanted list. His, his picture's on every post office in Egypt. Pharaoh's like, we're going to get you. Not only that, the people he was trying to help turned on him, did they not? And what was the very question they asked him? Hey, who, who gave you this authority to try to do what you're doing? So Moses argues with God, and he's, he's like, yeah, I don't think I want to go back. Why was his first attempt such a failure compared to the second attempt? Because they're, they're like night and day, right? Let me give you three reasons quickly why the first attempt was a failure, and these are important for us today. Number one, he was uncommissioned at that time. He was uncommissioned at that time. Uh, I, I mean by that, that, that God knew what he was going to do with Moses, but he also knew this, and this is important, he knew when he was going to do it. You see, God has a time schedule. He's never late, he's never early. Moses was a bit early on this. Luke, in his, in, in his writing of Acts, says this, that as he's recording Stephen's uh, uh, testimony before the council, the Sanhedrin council, and, and Stephen's given them this history lesson, he says about Moses, he says, it came into Moses' heart to visit his brethren. That's that first time when he's living in the palace with Pharaoh, and he says, you know what, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to rescue my people. Because as Stephen says, for he supposed his brethren would have understood that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. When it says that it came into his heart, the idea is that it occurred to him that he should do this. And he must have at least had an inkling that maybe God's going to use me. But the problem is God was not going to use him at that particular time. At that time, he is uncommissioned. So much so that when the Israelite who asks him, hey, when he's trying to break up a fight between two Israelites, he said, hey, who said you get to do this? Who gave you this authority over us? Uh, who says and who has made you a ruler and judge over us? What was Moses' answer? He had no answer. Why? He was uncommissioned. It's always as dangerous to get ahead of God as it is to lag behind God. The problem is we always focus on, oh, they're lagging behind. It's just as dangerous to get out in front. Where you want to be is right where God is all the time, lockstep. And so he was uncommissioned. Not only was he uncommissioned, he was uncontrolled. He was uncontrolled. He had killed an Egyptian. The day before, this man says to him, hey, who made you the judge and ruler? Why did he choose those words? Who made you ruler and judge? Because Moses, just the day before, had acted like he believed he was ruler and judge, did he not? And executioner. Now, did the Egyptian do wrong? Yes. But did Moses have the right to be judge, jury, and executioner? No, he did not. He had a hard time with his temper. And the Bible is still true that he that hath no rule over his spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls. Didn't go so well because he was uncontrolled in his temper. Didn't go so well, number three, because he was uncommitted. He was uncommitted. Have you ever thought about this? Moses thinks, hey, they must know I'm going to be the deliverer. He comes out to try to deliver the people of, of Israel. And it takes one person with one question. Who made you judge and ruler? He has no answer, so what does he do? Tucks tail and runs. He's not committed. 
I thank God that Harvest Baptist Church has a pastor who's been here 35 years. Do you know that in, this, is, this is statistically true? You, you can look it up for yourself. On average, it takes just seven people to get crossway or sideways with the pastor, and he'll get up and leave. Just seven. It only took one for Moses. He was uncommitted. What I've learned is that if you're not committed, you'll leave. That's why it only takes seven. I've also learned this. If you stay, they'll leave. But that's a different story for a different time. So Moses is going to go back. And what a great comfort it must have been to him to know that he was commissioned and that he was going to be able to go back and say, I am hath sent me. What comfort would it have been if, if Moses had to go back and say, I come to you in the name of the great I was. And I'd like you to rise up against the most powerful nation on earth and rebel and come out of your slavery and follow me. And by the way, I'll just go to Pharaoh and tell him that he's got to let God's people go. And when Pharaoh asks, oh yeah, by, by, what, by what authority? Who is the Lord? Remember, that was exactly what, what Pharaoh asked. Who is the Lord? That would be a good question if, if Moses had come and said, Hey, Pharaoh, let my people go in the name of the great I was. Who's that? The great I was. It would be equally discomforting to have to say, Hey, listen, I come to you in the name of the great you just wait and see. He's going to be great one day. Why do my children obey children A when they say dad said? Because uh, they know something. Dad ain't a has-been. He may be old, but he ain't a has-been. And uh, it's not going to be long. <laughs> We're not going to have to wait and see if he's going to do something about this when he comes back, if I haven't done it. And, and it must have been a great comfort to Moses to know that he was going back commissioned. And he wasn't going back because the great I was was sending him. And he wasn't going back because the great I'm going to be someday was sending him. He was going back because the great I am said, I'm with you all the way through this. I'm glad we didn't sing how great thou wert or how great thou art going to be. How great thou art. And it must have really helped Moses. And you know what? It should have helped the people of Israel too. And it should help you and I today. Let me give you some ways, some thoughts quickly how it should help us. I think it should have helped them. It should have, it should have revived their relationship and their walk with the Lord. To know that while it seems like everything's upside down and it seems like we really are being so oppressed and everything's wrong, our God's still in control. Church, thank you for singing like you believe we are on the winning side. You sang well this morning. Thank you. I've been in churches where people sing I'm on the winning side and when they're done, I'm not sure. I'm like, Really? Oh, victory in Jesus. Really? 
is it a funeral? It should revive our relationship and our walk with the Lord. It should raise our expectations of his promises. He's not the great has been. He's not the great I'm going to be someday. Right now, he is the great I am, not any greater or less greater than he ever has been, ever will be. His promises are sure today. It should renew our hope in the power of God, and it should ready us to follow God's leading. And I'm simply saying that I think that for Moses, it must have been a great comfort to go back and say, I am sent me, and that you and I should have that same comfort, and we should get excited and know that the great I am is still the great I am in our day today, because God said, hey, not only am I telling you this, Moses, this is a memorial for all generations. That means that's for you and I today. So that we don't have to sit around and say, well, we serve the great I was or the great I'm going to be. He's coming again. Just you wait and see. No, he's the great I am today. And today you may not know Jesus Christ as your personal savior. I want you to know today, right now, he has the power to save you. He is the savior of the world today. Jesus said, I am right now the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. You may be in a time of trial and you may need God to give you some grace. I want you to know that Psalm 116 verse five says, God is gracious. Gracious is right now the Lord. James 4, 6 says, he giveth, present tense, right now, more grace. Uh, you may need mercy. You may be going through a time and you think, God's done with me. God's not done with you, and God can still give you mercy. Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is right now merciful and gracious. You, you may be in a time of turmoil, and you may be looking for some peace, and who isn't in 2020? I, I just want you to rem remember that the Bible says about Jesus Christ in Ephesians 2, and verse 14, He is our peace. I'm not looking for peace. I have peace right now today. I serve the great I am. Uh, you may be uh, thinking, I, I need some direction in my life. I'm a little confused about which way I should go. David helps. The Lord is right now my shepherd. I shall not want. Every day I, I can wake up and not have to figure out which way I should go. I just need to get up and walk with the shepherd. You may be living in a time of unrest and turmoil. Who isn't right now? I want to remind you that right now also, according to 2 Samuel 22, the Lord is my rock and is my fortress and is my deliverer. The is of 2 Samuel 22, verse 2, carries over to all those things. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. The is carries over. He's all those things right now. You may need strength in a time of fear. I want you to know that Psalm 27, verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Why can we stand bold for Jesus Christ? Who should I fear? I serve the great I am. I'm here by his authority. Uh, if Satan whispers in your ear that God has forgotten you, turn to him and say, no, no, he's here right now. Psalm 34 and verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? If for any reason doubt creeps into your heart, turn to Jeremiah, not literally right now, but sometime, Jeremiah 10, verse 10. But the Lord is the true God. 
He is the living God and everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth shall tremble and the nations shall not be able to abide his indignation. And I don't know about you, but I'm sure glad in 2020, I serve the great I am. It comforts me. There's not a lot of comfort in serving the great I was. There's not that much hope even in serving the great I'm He's going to be someday. But the great I am, that helps me. That helps me today. And you know what? When I wake up tomorrow, it'll help me tomorrow. Because tomorrow he'll still be I am. And, And you know what? I hope you don't, you're not so naive as to think. I know a lot of people, my girls keep saying, Dad, I'm so sick of seeing everybody post their junk about Christmas on on Instagram. Now they're not anti Christmas, okay? They're just like, they're getting ahead of themselves. It's not even been Thanksgiving. Why are they posting their Christmas stuff? And I keep telling them, you want to know why? They want 2020 to be over. That's why. And who doesn't? But I don't know about you, but I don't have like these great expectations that, you know, clock strikes midnight on December 31st going into January 1st, 2021. I don't think everything magically all gets better. But here's what I will know. When the clock strikes midnight on December 31st, going into January 1st, 2021, the great I am still is. That helps me. It's a comfort. Number two, I I see the comfort he delivers by this name. I see the command he deserves by it. The command he deserves. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 17 and verse 28, for in him, who's him? The great I am. For in him we move and live and have our being. Job 12 and verse 10 says, In whose hand? Who's the whose hand? It's the great I am's hand. In whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Psalm 66 verse 8 and 9 says, Oh, bless our God, ye people, and make the voice of his praise be heard, which holdeth, present tense right now, our soul in life. I live and breathe because God is holding my soul in his hand. He holds my life in his hand. And and what I'm trying to get across right now is not only is he the great I am creator, but he is the great I am sustainer. Not just creator, but sustainer. And because he is both, he has a right to control my life, to tell me what to do. This thing right here, which is working as a timer, lest anybody feel like I don't, I'm not aware. This thing right here, this is my brain. I live by it, literally. It rings at me multiple times through the day, every single, there's not a day that goes by that some reminder or some calendar event doesn't ring on my phone. It's always like telling me something to do. But here's what I do. I try to start each day and say, God, you know that my brain in my pocket's got a lot of things for me to do. But would you help me to remember that really, I just need to do what you tell me to do. It may be on my schedule, but it may not be on yours. It was on Moses' schedule a little early to try to deliver the people from Egypt. Didn't work out so well. God said, yeah, you're a little ahead of yourself. Would have been better if Moses had waited, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it have been better if he didn't have that history? (laughs) Would have been a lot easier at least. 
He's, he's the great creator. He's the great sustainer. And that's something he even reminds Moses of in Exodus 3. At the end of, chapter, uh, uh, at the end of Exodus 3, 17... As God says, hey, listen, you go back and tell him I am. Tell him this is a memorial to all ages. He also says, listen, I'm going to lead you to a place, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Why? Oh, God wanted to remind them, hey, I'm the one who's taking care of you all the way through. And the one who is taking care of you deserves, is worthy of the right to be in control, to command the day-to-day operations. Truth be known, if God was the great I was, I would feel very little obligation to obey him. I'm not even sure I would. What would be the consequence? If God were only the great will be someday, I know myself well enough to know this. Here's what I would do. I'd do like most people in the world do. I'd roll the dice and hope that I was right and he was wrong. I wouldn't feel any obligation to him. But because he is the great I am today and he sustains me today, I recognize something. He has the right to tell me what to do. When child A says to child B or child C or D or any combination thereof, and they said, dad says, what's a great motivating factor in their life? I know my house is weird, so I have to give you the answer. Dad's the guy who buys the food. Dad's the guy who puts the, make sure there's a roof over your head. Dad's the guy who's going to buy you your new shoes and your new clothes. You want to eat? Better do what dad says. See, that sounds harsh. No, that's Bible. If any shouldn't eat, neither should he work. We tell our kids that all the time. Oh, you want to do your chores? Cool. More food for me tonight. Oh, you're not taking the garbage out? Great, I will look forward to your portion of dessert. He who sustains gets to call the rules. Isn't that Bible? Isn't the servant, isn't the the, the borrower servant to the lender? (laughs) It works. Guess what? It's a great motivating factor in my kid's life. Because they like to eat, and they like the clothes, and they like the roof. You say, would you really put them out? Try me. (laughs) God says, hey, I am. Not just creator, but sustainer. Moses, why should you go back? Uh, Because God's your sustainer. And better off to go into Egypt where it doesn't look so good from the past history knowing this. He'll take care of me. The control he deserves, or the command he deserves. Notice this quickly. I see this name. It speaks to me about the comfort God delivers, the command he deserves, the control he displays. The control he displays. Why, after all the... All the go, going back and forth, did, Moses, or did, uh, did Pharaoh finally let God's people go? Was it because of Moses' great political skills? Not so much. Was it because Moses led the greatest army on planet Earth? Definitely not. Was it because Moses himself was such a powerful man that, that Pharaoh couldn't resist him? Wasn't that. What was it? 
it was what God was doing through Moses. And even, even, even though Pharaoh's heart was hardened to it, the people who surrounded him said, hey, don't you understand? There is no way we are going to stand against this guy's God. Why did, why did Moses succeed the second time when he failed the first time? Because the first time he was uncommissioned, he was uncontrolled, he was uncommitted. But the second time, he could say when somebody said, oh yeah, who says Moses? Oh, I am says. That's who says. And all the miracles pointed to I am. They didn't point to Moses. They pointed to God and what he was doing. And he's the deliverer. And Moses was only a delivery boy. You know what verse you and I love to quote to everybody under the sun who's going through a hard time, but hate it when somebody quotes it to us? Romans 8, 28. We use it like it's a magic potion or we're just going to, you know, somebody, hey, how you doing? Man, it's, it's not so good. Don't worry, God's working everything together for good and you keep walking. Say that to me. I'm going to tackle you. I do not appreciate it when people just flippantly say to me, God's working everything together for good. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that, that all things work together, present active tense, are right now working together for good. Even in 2020, that means. Everything right now is working together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We love to quote that to others. We hate it when people quote it to us. Why? Because Romans 8 and verse 28 makes it so real. We know. Here's what the problem is. Sometimes we don't believe. We know, but we don't always believe. How do we know? Well, we know because of a guy named Joseph. Right? Joseph's, Joseph's brethren hated him so much, couldn't speak peacefully to him, sold him into Egypt and, and into slavery. And when all is said and done, Joseph comes back and he says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to save much people alive this day. So I know, I, I absolutely know that God is working all things together for good, at least in Joseph's life. I know it because of Job, right? I mean, Job went through a lot of a lot of stuff, so much so that his wife wanted to come out and encourage him and says, hey, listen, curse God and die. That was a help. <laughs> Didn't work out so, uh, so well for Mrs. Job, but Job said, no, 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 I, I know something. Though he slay me, my Redeemer liveth right now. I will see him on the mountain the latter day. And at the end of Job 42, verse 12, so the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. God was working all things together for good, even though all through the book of Job, almost nobody can see it. In fact, as you read through the book of Job, it's hard for you and I to see it. So I know. I know because of what, a Jer of what Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. <coughs> Excuse me. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, God says. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. God says, I know the purposes I have for your life. I want to give you peace. I, 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 I want to not give you evil. I want to give you an expected end. So I know. Ultimately, I know even because of Jesus, right? I know. 
Because 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55 through 57 says this, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which us, uh, giveth us rather the victory through Jesus Christ our, our Lord. So I know that Jesus de defeated death. He defeated sin. He defeated the grave. He defeated Satan. I know it all. But sometimes I don't believe it. Oh, I know those facts, and I don't really doubt those facts. What needs to happen? We need to move from knowledge to belief. You say, oh, I know that God is the great I am. Do you believe it? Do you live like it? Right now, today? Or are you just waiting for him to do something great in the future? You have to move from knowledge to belief. That if thou shalt confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus, that's the knowledge part, and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. But as many as received him to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. All the knowledge in the world doesn't help if we don't believe it. And it's time you and I get back to believing God truly is in control. And church, thank you. Because this morning you sang like you believe it. I am on the winning side. It's not just a song we sing. You know, I was thinking as we were singing that song, I was thinking, I hope people understand that this is the worship time, a part of the worship time. I don't want to get off on this, but the songs aren't just the worship. The whole thing is the worship. The offerings of worship, the preachings of worship, the whole thing's of worship. But, but the song is the worship time too, right? So if I'm worshiping God while I'm singing, I'm on the winning side, boy, I want to believe it. Because he knows whether I do or don't. We need to move from knowing to believing. We do it for salvation and we need to do it in our day-to-day -day lives. We can think everything's out of control, but no, God really is working all things together for good. And by the way, if he wasn't, and he wasn't actively working today, you and I wouldn't even be here. We wouldn't even exist. I know that because Hebrews 1 verse 3 says this, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding right now, present tense, present active tense, all things by the word of his power. You do understand that if God were to remove himself from this earth and he wasn't the great I am, Right now, this earth would not exist. Understand that, right? He could have created it in the past. If he was the great I was, the earth could have existed in the past, but as soon as he got done being great, the earth goes away. If he's the great going to be someday, then the earth still doesn't exist, and maybe someday in the future it will, but you and I aren't even around to consider it. Today, right now, he is upholding all things according to his power. That's the kind of control he has. I don't know about you, but that's a comfort for me. Because Jesus said, without me you can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. He's in control. It's not just something we say. It's something we should believe and live like. And God wants to remind us of that over and over and over again. I'm done with this thought. We think it's bad right now, and it is. But this is nothing 
compared to what's coming. I'm glad I'm not going to be here. I'm talking about the, the seven years of the, of the tribulation. And the world's going to truly seem to be out of control at that point. By the way, if, if you think that 2020 is bad, can you just remember this as you're going through your days? This is probably as bad as you and I are ever going to face it as children of God. This is the best for lost people. It only gets worse for them. And Revelation, it, 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 the, the seven years of the tribulation, it's a bad time. But before one judgment falls, God the Holy Spirit says to John, you write this. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is, which was, which is to come. That's how you define the great I am. Which is, which was, which is to come. Aren't you glad? Because it's not even chronological. Have you ever noticed that? Which was, which is, which is to come. Which is. Why? Because he's the great I am right now. Which is, which was, which is to come. He's a self-existent one. Always will be. And as, as, as God is getting ready to, to pour out judgment on the world and, and the world will experience the worst seven years in the history of the world forever and ever and ever, he starts off and he says, hey, just remember something. I am. I am in control. And I don't know about you, for me, that brings me comfort. I think he is worthy to control my day-to-day -day needs and, and my doings, rather. And truly, to my children's chagrin, because I can't carry a tune in a bucket, but when we go to places like Yosemite National Park and see things, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art right now, today. He's in control. Our Father, we come to you this morning, and we do thank you for your goodness and your grace, and, and I thank you so much for the attentiveness of these dear people who have, who have, who have listened so well. Pray as pastor comes now to close the service. You have your will and way. In Jesus' name, amen.